believe that ought to be all of our prayers this morning is to bring the Lord Jesus Christ glory. I appreciate that, ladies. I don't want you all to take this wrong, but some days, Brother Jared, I wish we were a little bit south of here. Not for, not necessarily for the weather, but that'd be somewhat of a blessing. But because northerners are so tight. Northerners are so reserved. And I'm not asking you to throw a fit and get all crazy and nuts. But man, every once in a while, when the Lord gets kicking around through here, man, y'all just let it go. I say amen. Praise the Lord. I'm not getting after you. I just, I know something about being in the north. It's just tight. Man, God's been so good to us. And I'm glad you came. I'm, I'm not getting on you. I want you to understand that. But I'm not saying the southerners, they got it right. But there's something about a southerner many times. See, you're country folk. You, many of you have sconded away from the city, and justly so. <laughs> but you're country folk, so you're... You're always on the lookout. You're always looking over your shoulder. Amen? I was worried about someone kicking your back door. But here we're meeting with the Lord, and it's just been good. It's just been good. I appreciate every one of you this morning. Take your Bible if you're at Genesis chapter 6. Would you stand with me this morning? This is not the book of Numbers, <clears throat> but I just this has been on my mind. It's been on my heart, and I want to preach this thing to you today. If the Lord will give me the utterance to do so, I want to read just a few verses. You follow along with me. Genesis chapter 6 and beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. So this is not a study on the sons of God. But the Schofield Reference Bible tells you that's the godly line of Seth, which is absolutely incorrect. These are the fallen, created sons of God from which Marvel and D.C. get all their heroes from. And the Bible says here, uh, it says, uh, verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his day shall be in 120 years. There were giants in the earth. There's, uh, there's the incredible hulk there. In those days, you think I'm joking, but I'm not. They had superhuman strength. They were demonic creatures, but they were half, they were, they were half, whatever you want to call it, half flesh, because they came down, they inhabited with the daughters of men. So what you had is a bunch of superhumanoids is what you had. You had Thor and his spandex and the Man of Steel and Bruce Banner and the rest of that clown circus is what you got. Look at it. There were giants in the earth in those days and also after that. When the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, so you got spiritual beings coming down, inhabiting with the daughters of men. They're having kids. And they bear children to them. The same became what? Mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. Now, isn't that easy? King James Bible told you that. Unless you're just an independent, fundamental, Bible-rejecting Baptist, that's easy to believe. Now, look at this, verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created 
from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. Let's pray. And Father, come before you, and I plead the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you, Lord, for the great song service this far. Thank you, Lord, for the sweet spirit that's in here, and these dear people that have given their time, Lord, to come in here. No doubt, Father, some of them weary, some of them tired. Some had a difficult week. Father, I pray that you'd help me to minister the Word of God to them faithfully, Lord, with the right spirit. Father, I pray if there's anyone here today that's not saved, never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, Father, would truly today be the day of salvation. Father, I pray now you'd honor your Word, and as we lift it up, might all men be drawn to Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. One of the most well-known Bible stories that I can recall as a kid comes from this passage right here. And of course it deals with Noah and the ark and Noah's flood. And uh, the very thought in my mind uh, as a child, uh, if many of you know the story, and I say many because you're now entering the non-Sunday school generation. We're almost two, two generations into no Sunday school anymore. That's a terrifying thought for those of you with kids and grandkids, isn't it? To think that we have generations in this community alone that never heard the story of Noah's flood or Noah and the ark. But really, to me as a child back in the early 80s, thinking that there were literally lines of animals, two by two, marching towards a giant wooden boat. Here's Mr. and Mrs. Hippopotamus, and here's Mr. and Mrs. Giraffe and Mrs. and Mr. Lion, and they're not eating each other. To me, as the storybook, uh, uh, when I was a kid, the one heretical group put them out. Who puts them out? Uh, was it the Church of Christ? or Ladders, thanks, Seventh-day Adventists and all that stuff. They put them storybooks out. They were in the doctor's office, if you remember. Now it's just a bunch of dirty magazines, amen. But it was these stories, you know, children's bedtime stories, and you saw those pictures of the kid and in Sunday school. You see, and, and I see that thing in my mind, and I'm thinking, even though I was raised in a Christian home, just the thought of these animals marching two by two. Of course, later you learn the cleans when we're seven, twos and sevens, but all marching in a line from across the world, and it begins to settle in. If you think about it long enough, somewhere the earth must have been all one land at that time because how are they going to hop the big pond, right? And to to me, that makes sense scientifically, where now the earth is all divided up into seven continents. You say, well, do you have any proof that it was? No, I don't. I just have a brain, and I think, and and I don't let everyone do it for me. But somehow it just seems pretty incredible to me to have this long line of animals coming into this ark. And if that wasn't enough, why wouldn't that have drawn my attention to think that there might be something about this boat? The fact of the matter is no one had uh, knew what a, an ark was. It's kind of like, uh, you know, if the Lord would have told Noah to build a doghouse and he didn't know what a dog was. But just that thought, all those animals going in two by two and just mesmerizing the world as the Bible declares and history declares it. And matter of fact, you know, one of the most provable things in life is the flood. And there's always going to be naysayers and agnostics and atheists and idiots and all the rest of that stuff. But there is so much in proof of the flood that you'd have to be almost educated not to believe it. But this morning I'd like to preach just a little bit about that ark. About that ark. And I've been thinking for a while about this ark. And 
and uh, many of you know that Noah built the ark and he preached that same message every day for over a hundred years. A little bit of checking about Noah and when he was, uh, when he was born and, uh, and how old he was when he began to build an ark. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7 that not only was Noah building an ark for the saving of his house. In other words, the Lord shows up to Noah because he was doing the right thing at the right time. And he's like, look buddy, you want to live? Build an ark. So the Bible says in the Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, that Noah built an ark for the saving of his house. It wasn't just for him, it was for his house. You see, one of the important things about being in the ark and being in the right ark, it's not just for you. How about them youngins coming up behind you? And Noah, he built an ark for the saving of his house. But not only was he building an ark, he was building a work. But in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, we then find out in the New Testament, we don't find out until then, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Noah was a preacher. And some of us, we just thought he was an ark builder. But he was a preacher of righteousness. He preached for over 100 years that judgment was coming. You know, as I look back on the, the roots of my Christianity and the roots of the preachers that I've sat underneath and the preachers that I was saved under, you know what they've been preaching all these years? Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. You know what this world doesn't want to hear today? Judgment's coming. You know what the Christian doesn't want to hear? (laughs) Judgment's coming. And many times as a Christian we get sidetracked thinking, well, (laughs) praise the Lord, I'm saved, and thank God I'm heaven bound with a hammer down, but we still forget that the judgment seat of Christ is coming. Can I put that thing aside? But old Noah, he preached. And by the fact of the matter, he was a preacher. And he, just by doing, getting up every single day and doing what God told him, he condemned the world by doing and preaching what God commanded. I can hear old Noah, if I stop and think about it long enough, I often wonder what that scene looked like. In Hollywood, they're, they're stupid. They're full of reprobates anyways, and they don't know how to paint a picture. That movie they put out about Noah is about the most blasphemous thing you could ever think of. So unless you're just looking to make some popcorn, burn it, and throw up in your popcorn bucket, don't worry about watching it. But anyways, I can, I can kind of see it if I think hard enough about it, and Noah's there every day for 100... That's how I think. Sorry, I'm your preacher. You'll have to deal with that. But every day for about 120 years, Noah gets up there and he gets to swinging that hammer or that mallet. And he gets to telling his boys, well, you got to put some more pitch over here. And there's a little crowd of people going over here. He's like, hey, judgment's coming. Hey, you better stop and make plans to get into the ark. I'm telling you, the Lord's going to destroy this world with a flood. 100 years, same message. And I imagine some of them people will come up to the ark and go, you crazy old man, you lost your cotton picking mine. What in the world are you doing? I mean, what in the world are you destroying all them trees for, right? I mean, just think of what them trees, them trees could have been turned into a, a nice chase lounge. Or those trees could be turned into a, to a beautiful dress. We could have made money in the market. But here you are wasting our resources, Noah. And Noah's like, yeah, you'll think one day you're going to need this resource. Judgment's coming. And I get to think about old Noah preaching the same message. I bet you got a little discouraged preaching the same old message, didn't it? Doesn't it get a little discouraging in your Christian life? You ever stop and think of how many people that are around us watching us build the ark of our life and they don't even know what the message is? Is that too plain this morning? But Noah, the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, he was a preacher of righteousness and that preacher had to sound out the word that judgment is coming. You better get inside the ark. I wonder this morning if we've been sounding out the warning like 
Noah, faithful Noah was, of course, he's found in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verses 6, I believe, 7 and 8 there. And he was faithful to be a preacher of righteousness. He was faithful to build an ark for the saving of his house. And one day, the judgment came, and one day that flood came. Let me ask you this question this morning before we get into it. Are you ready for that flood? You say, preacher, you're crazy. That flood happened in Genesis chapter 6 and it happened in chapter 7 and chapter 9. And you know the Lord's not going to flood. I understand that, but are you ready for the flood? Because there's a flood coming. You see, in the Bible, there's three floods. If you're a Bible believer with me this morning, Genesis chapter 1, 1, between 1, 1 and 1, 2, you see the first flood in the Bible. If you take a look at the very first chapter of your Bible, the Bible says in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. You still with me? Verse 2, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the what? You see that? That's the first flood. There was something wrong with that first world, that pre-Adamic world, and God took that world over in the book of 2 Peter chapter 3, and He took that world and went, and He flooded it, and He shoved her down. And that's a scriptural fact. That's not a theory. That's not someone's idea. That's not some gap, whatever. That's a fact of scripture. Because you read over in the Bible, the book of Psalms, chapter, I believe it is 148, the earth was in the water and out of the water. And there's waters that are above the heavens and below the heavens. And I'm telling you, that first flood happened in Genesis chapter 1-1 and 1-2, and God took that evil, wicked world, and he went sploosh, and he dunked it. Well, move ahead about five more chapters in your King James Bible. You come to Genesis chapter 6, and the essence of time has passed by, and by now there's over 2,500 years of recorded history in five chapters of your King James Bible. So here's the second flood in Genesis 6, uh, uh, 7, 8, and 9, and you know about that. But can I tell you, there's a third flood yet to come. Did you know that this morning? There is a third flood, and I know I know my Bible, and you know your Bible, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 15, that the Lord promised He would never flood the earth again with water. Amen? And what, what was the symbol He gave for that? He put the bow in the sky, right? And that bow in the sky was to represent His protection and a symbol of His promise never to flood the earth again, a symbol of protection, a symbol of promise, so every queer from here to Hawaii gets under the bow. Well, yeah, silly, it ain't going to flood you, but let me tell you what, there's a flood coming in Revelation chapter 20, it's going to burn your britches off. Amen. Now, just like all those who refused to get into that ark in Noah's day after he preached for 120 years, That judgment's coming. He was faithful to preach. He was faithful to warn. He was faithful to build what God told him to do. He was faithful in his house. He was faithful to save his house. But just like that that flood came through there, there's a flood coming through in the book of Revelation that is a flood of fire. The third flood is yet to come. It's yet to come. We know it can't be water because the Bible says that the Lord will not suffer this world to be overflown with water again. But this third flood will be a universal flood of fire. Can I take you to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10? Many of you know the verse, but 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, follow with me. The Bible says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. 
You see, just as the people in Noah's flood drowned in a flood of water, Revelation chapter 20, and then it is verse 15, I believe, sums up this next flood. The Bible says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You see, that's that third flood. That's a third universal flood that's coming. I'm going to say it again because we've gone to sleep as a church. We've gone to sleep as a denomination. We've gone to sleep as a people of God that there is a final flood of fire still coming this way. And many of our people, many of our friends, many of our family don't know nothing about the judgment coming. And I'm laying it on you today. Why? Because I hate you? No, because I want you to remember that judgment is still coming even if you're inside the ark. Three floods in the Bible. Two of water, Genesis 1, Genesis 6, 6, 7, and 8, and 9. And then the final flood is a flood of fire. And that third flood is yet to come and it's swiftly approaching Matter of fact, Peter carefully used the words that that flood comes as a thief in the night. And how many in here ever had, any, had their house broken into or their car broken into or, or something stolen from you? And it was just like that, wasn't it? It was just slick. Our kids and I, we had this little, uh, uh, little four-wheeler, this little 90-horse you know, piece of junk. I was big as a horse at that time. It might have carried me 30 miles an hour. If I dropped 50 pounds, it probably went 50, amen? But anyways, I had this thing, and we tooled around and taught the kids how to, you know, not run each other over and do, do things around the yard, and, and I left it outside one day. Sure enough, got up the next morning, it was gone. You know when someone came stole it? In the night. When I was sleeping, you know when this flood's going to come? When everyone's sleeping. When everyone least expect. Let me tell you what, if you're here today without Jesus Christ, this flood's going to be on you like you ain't never seen and you ain't never heard, and it's going, to, it's going to burn you up. And not only that, but see, as them people, they drowned in Noah's flood there with all the water, all that height above the earth. This lake of fire, you see the picture, people are going to be drowning forever and ever in the lake of fire. I'm saying judgment's coming. Are you safe in that ark? pretty important, isn't it? You're like, whew, praise God, preacher, I'm safe. I'm in the ark. Me and Jesus, we are like that. Praise the Lord. Does your family know about that ark? Does your friend know about that ark? Does your spouse know about that ark? Does your coworker know about that ark? Well, I don't know if they do or not. They should. What do you mean they should? Are you a preacher of righteousness or are you a punk? Are you a preacher? Are you just going through life thanking the Lord that you're in the ark? I'm trying to stir up your pure minds this morning. You can't just sit there as a Christian and just let everyone go to hell. I'm telling you, at some point in time, you've got to take a little bit of responsibility. I understand they have to trust Jesus Christ on their own. You cannot save them, but have they heard that the judgment is coming? Have they heard that that final flood is approaching? Do they know that it's going to come like a thief? And Have you at least given them a track about it? Not the entire message, but a great place to park for Christians. Many times because we have the truth, and we're thankful for the truth, and we love the truth, we get comfortable with the truth, and we forget that other people need that ark. No one will ever love that Bible like you do unless they learn to love the author of that book first. 
No one will ever love the author of that book that you love and you hold so dear and you're thankful for until they realize that their house is on fire. I remember when I was, uh, I think it was about 10 or 15 years back, so uh, my grandparents, their health was failing, and I probably have told this story before, but uh, I would go over to Grandma's there in Fenton, and I'd uh, sit with her just about every day as her health began to deteriorate, and, and I'd read the Bible to her. And it got to a point in time where, where Grandma was so uh, poor off or not, she was so sick or whatever that she couldn't respond anymore, and she was laying on her side in, in that uh, hospital bed that they came and put inside of the living room there. And, and I remember I'd go and I'd read the Bible to her, and I'd witness and say, Grandma, uh, you need to get saved, you need to get saved. And I went through some of her letters. Was it last week I found some of her letters to me explaining how uh, we all go to heaven just from a different pew, which you don't. And I remember sitting there and pleading with Grandma, and she'd argue with me. And then there came a point in time in her life where she could no longer talk, but she was coherent. And I'd sit there, and I'd read the Bible to her, and I'd say, Grandma, it's not too late. You can still get saved, and you still trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I remember finally the, the day that she passed away, I was in her a living room there, and she was on her side, and a big old sunken, it's like her whole face was just kind of melting away into her skull. You know how that gets when they, they get so emaciated. And I began to plead with her one final time, and as she was laying on her side, I saw the tears begin to fill up in the sides of the sockets of her eyes. You say she gets saved, I don't think she did. I only have hope that she'd heard the gospel enough to make some kind of subconscious decision for Jesus Christ. But my understanding is Grandma went from this world into the lake of fire. Never trusting Jesus Christ, always trusting her own goodness. You say, how terrible is that? It is terrible. But I tried to sound out the judgment call as long and as hard and as vicious as I could while loving her so fiercely. Have you told anyone about the judgment that's coming? Have you told anyone about the ark lately? Of course, in the Old Testament, the ark there is that wooden boat that all the animals got on. There was safety in one place in Noah's flood. It was on that wooden ark made of gopher wood. Imagine that, just a little gopher wood box filled of every animal, and the only people that were saved on that thing was Noah, Mrs. Noah, Ham, Sham, and Japheth, and Mrs. uh, Mrs. Sham, Mrs. Ham, and Mrs. Japheth. Nobody else snuck on the ark like Hollywood said. They're a bunch of liars anyways. Eight people survived that thing. You know why? They heard the call. They answered the call. They listened to Noah. You know what Noah said? Time to get on the ark. Time to get on the ark. Can you imagine, I don't know, some of you have probably done some personal work. Can you imagine preaching for 120 years and not even having one convert? That'd be a failure, wouldn't it? I'd be like, oh, it's time for you to quit the ministry, buster. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, he made it through. He made it through. No converts. No one signing up to go to missions anywhere. No one coming to the altar. No ministries at all. Just his family is all he saved. Well, first of all, let me show you some things about that ark today. I'd like to paint a little bit of a picture for you. First of all, I want you to see that before the flood in Genesis 6 that God numbers the days. Look at verse 3, Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. The Bible says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. 
yet his day shall be in 120 years. Many people have thought this is where God lessens the age, but that's not the case because Noah himself lives over to be 950 some years old. What this is, is God's numbering the days before that flood's coming. He says the days are going to be 120, and then he's pulling the spout on that thing, and it's going to go. Can I tell you back then, before Noah's flood, God numbers the days? Can I tell you this? God's numbered these days. We've got advanced revelation from the scriptures that in the latter days, in the last days, this shall happen. In the end times, this shall happen. We are in those last days. We are in the end times. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You might have plans this afternoon. They might be great plans. But let me tell you what, don't make any boast about them. You have no idea where you'll either make it home. There's a football player, I think it was, it was a Sunday or Monday. He had no idea that he'd make one play and then be on life support for the next three. You say, well, about that, I don't care what your thought. I'm just saying, you have no idea what the day is going to bring forth. Your days are numbered. Matter of fact, the Bible says, I believe it's Luke chapter 12. He says, even the hairs on your head are numbered. As one preacher said, it's real easy for me. The Lord just, when I wake up in the morning, he subtracts the one from my pillow from my head. But your days are numbered. Your hairs on your head are numbered. For some of y'all, it's not hard. I'm not making eye contact. But can you see the days are numbered? They're numbered then. They're numbered now. Not only that, but in Psalm chapter 90, I think it's around verse 12. You know what David tells us through the Lord? We ought to number our days. Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, the Bible said, Teach us to number our days. And that passage right around 10, 11, and 12, you know what the old psalmist says through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? That the days of man, and I'll misquote it, I've got it written down there, but the days of man are 70 years, three score and 10. That's the days you've been given. You've been given 70 years. And let me tell you what, if you're above 70, you're in the bonus round. Because the Bible says, and if it be for a score, then is there strength with labor and sorrow. And that's the truth. We have some men not able to be with us here today. I love very dearly. And you know why? Because their strength now is with labor and sorrow. Your days are numbered. And because your days are numbered, the Lord says, you need to learn to number your days. You say, what should you do about it? I took it literally. I went to www.birthdaycalculator.com. How many days until I'm 70? He said, how many? I'll tell you. I have somewhere around 7,000. 7,000, I just had it right here. No, 8,364 days till I'm 70. That sounds like a lot until you've seen how many days you've been alive. It's not very many days. He said, teach us the number of days. Why? What you ought to do ought to count. Soon on earth this life will pass, only what's done for Christ will last. So teach us to number our days. Why? Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. Are you in the ark? Oh, yes. I'm in the ark. All right. 
Number your days. Make them count. Make them count. Stop wasting your days. Stop wasting your time. Do something for Jesus Christ. Secondly, before the flood, I want you to see in verse 5, Genesis 6, verse 5, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. The Bible says here in verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And I thought at least get an amen just from reading the scripture there. You know why? Because that's today. Notice, uh, notice the intensity of it. Notice its intensity. The wicked of man was what? Great. Notice its source. The source, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart. And notice its absolute control. Only evil continually. Why isn't that describing where you and I live? They're doing things now that you never would have thought of 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. You never would have dreamed it. You never would have imagined that two queers could walk down to the uh, city hall here and go to the county clerk and get a, a, get a license to be a queer. You never thought that. And if that bothers you, that's because your stinking conscience is jaded. That never should happen around here. But it has to happen before we get out. Only evil continually. I mean, you're, 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 you're blessed to live in the country, but you still better lock your door. Because you can't trust us on the outside of that door. We're not living back in the 50s. Back in the 50s, if you weren't home, your neighbor would come in and grab a cup of sugar. Now, if you're not home, they'll grab a cup of sugar, your widescreen TV, your laptop, and the keys to your car. <laughs> And they won't give any of it back. Now its intensity is great. Its source is the heart. And the absolute control is it's only evilly continually. And you and I now live in a land that's overrun by wickedness. You know why some of you don't believe that? Because you watch too much television. You think everything's in Hollywoodville. You think everyone's acting. No, this stuff's real. You can, with the click of a, a, a button or a click of your thumb, you can learn how to make every drug in the world on YouTube. You can learn how to do the most uh, perverted things in the world by a couple clicks, just like that. You can go and you can bring up movies and watch movies and how to do despicable acts. How to, how to murder people and hide it. Who'd even thunk that 30 years ago? I'm trying to get you to understand we are living in the days of Noah. And judgment is still coming. God's not going, ho-hum. Judgment's still coming. That flood's still coming. That fire's still coming. This place is still going to burn. The elements are still going to melt with fervent heat. The thing that bothers me the most is it doesn't bother me. And it should bother you if it doesn't bother you. Now notice of me this morning for the scripture some things about the flood. I want you to see first of all in verse 7, I want you to see the affirmation of God. The affirmation of God. Look Christian, our family, our friends, and our relatives, they're going to hell. And most of us aren't saying a peep about it. Man, we ought to be holding the rope. Not to hang them, but to help them. 
We ought to be living in such a fashion that when they get on rough times, they might not like you and they might not care about you, but they at least know how to call you because they've been watching you and there's something different about how you live and there's something different about your life and they don't go to church and so forth, but they know you head out for church every Sunday morning and every Sunday night and all that other stuff and, and even in the middle of the week you go and you find a place to get along with God in the church house with a handful of people there and let me tell you, they ought to be able to get a hold of you. I want you to see the affirmation of God, verse 7. The Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created. You see the promise? That's an affirmation. God will destroy man from the face of the earth, and he's going to do it again. He did it there. He did it in Genesis 1-1, but it wasn't man. He did it in Genesis 6-7-8, which was man. And he's going to do it again in Revelation chapter 20. He's going to do it again. Whether you're ready for it or not, that's the affirmation of God. He said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Next, I want you to see the devastation of God. God just wasn't around beating his gums. He meant what he said. He promised, and then he delivers. Look at Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7, verse 21. God said, I'm going to do it, and I want you to see God's not a man that he should lie. He keeps his word. 21, and all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beast, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, of all that was in the dry land died, and every living substance was destroyed, which is upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle, and the creeping things in the fall of heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. You see that? You have the affirmation of God in chapter 6, and then you see the devastation, what God does in chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. I'm telling you what, most of you know this like the back of your hand, but when God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And let me tell you what, if you're here today without Jesus Christ, one day, unless you get saved, you're going to drop off into a place called hell and you're going to burn forever and ever in the lake of fire and never get out. He promised it. It's going to happen. You say, what I got to do? You got to get in the ark. That's the only place of safety is in the ark. Well, you've got the affirmation of God. You've got the devastation of God. But look back to Genesis 7, 1. That's not, given, that's not given without the invitation of God. It's not all doom and gloom. You've got to realize there's an invitation given. Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. You see that? Come thou and all thy house. Are you in the ark this morning? How about your house? Are they in the ark? Well, I did the best I could. Amen. Pray for them. Encourage them. Invite them to church. Well, they don't like you. Well, join the long list, but just give them the truth anyways. Amen. Give them the truth. Invite them to church. Pray for them. Help them along the way. Well, they don't believe like I do. Aren't you thankful? (laughs) Amen. Come thou in all thy house. That's the invitation. That's the invitation. You've been given an invitation to what? Escape judgment. Escape judgment. Does your family know it? Do you know it? 
Have you accepted the invitation to escape judgment? Come thou in all thy house into the ark. I wonder if you're here today and you're not in the ark. Like what preacher, I gotta, gotta go find a boat and get in the boat? No, the ark in the Old Testament is a wooden boat. The ark in the New Testament is the Lord Jesus Christ. You see that? The only thing that's going to get you from here to glory is not some boat, but it's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. You need Jesus Christ today. You see the invitation of God. You know what's next in this equation, if you want to call it that? The only thing that's next is your determination. What are you going to determine? The last part to this equation, we're done, just a quick message this morning, is your determination. What will you determine with what you've got? What will you do with what you've done? Your determination is whether or not you're willing to get in the ark. Your determination is whether or not you're willing to warn others about the ark. Build your life for Jesus Christ in spite of the ark. You see, there's multiple applications here. You might be in the ark, but are you going to be faithful like Noah and build your life? with what God told you to do it? Are you going to be faithful like Noah and be a preacher of righteousness to all those around you for your entire life? It's not just for the young. It's not just for the old. It is a lifelong thing. Are you willing to get in the ark? Are you willing to warn the others about the ark? Are you willing to help build that ark of your life? That's the determination this morning. It has to be put upon you. You can't just sit around and let someone else warn the people about the ark. That's on you. There's people that you can reach. There's people that you can affect that nobody else in here can. You have your own circle of influence, and you know it. And so today, the ark that I speak of, the only place of safety is Jesus Christ, the only one that can save you from from the flood of eternal fire. All those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will be safe and sound. I remember when I was uh, eight years old, April 24th, 1983, I put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the day I got on the ark. And let me tell you what, I've never worried about the flames of hell since. You say, why? Because you're good? No, because the Lord told me. I didn't have to worry about it no more. I now have the peace that passeth understanding. I don't have to worry about eternal damnation anymore. Why? Because I'm on the right ark. What's your ter- determination going to be today? As Miss Elizabeth comes to the organ this morning, she begins to play. I want to open this invitation for anyone who's determined to find safety in the ark of the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you come this morning? Will you come to this old-fashioned altar right here and pray and ask God for safety inside this heart. Christian, will you consider picking up your hammer like Noah and his sons did and picking up uh, your life like Noah did for a hundred years straight and get back to building what God told you to do with your Christian life? Christian, will you consider that maybe you should start getting serious about sounding out the warning to others every day or at least to those around you who will know about this great flood of fire coming their way? Christian, it's time... Lost person, it's time to get in the ark. The flood's coming. And if you listen loud enough, you can hear Noah saying, judgment is coming.